Hey, good morning and welcome to North Park Online. As we like to say, you made our day when you logged on. We're in week number two of our series called The Road to Redemption. And last week, Pastor Anthony started us off on a sermon series about the life of Simon Peter and how much you and I can relate to him. And so last week we dealt with this idea of doubt and we talked about Simon Peter having this opportunity to walk on water and focusing on the Savior or focusing on himself. And this week, we're going to deal with this idea of forgiveness, uh, forgiving ourselves and also understanding God's forgiveness for us. And so our text today is going to be John chapter 21, and we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to deal with about 23 verses, um, but we're going to skip around a little bit and give some summary in certain areas. And so I want to encourage you to get your Bible or your tablet and go to the Version Bible app, and under live events, you'll find North Park Church, and there you can find all of the scripture references, the big idea, and, and some helpful resources for today's message. So let's jump right in to week number two of Road to Redemption. Ask yourself this question. When you feel like you have failed, do you run toward God or away from God? And, and, and that may sound like a super spiritual question, but really think about it. When you feel like you've messed up, when you feel like you've, you've just really just blown it, do you tend to run toward God or away from God? Um, very early on when my boys were young, um, Pastor Anthony likes to say I have 17 children, but I have three boys and a four-month-old little girl. But when our boys were very young, uh, we kind of had this, this situation that we learned from in our house. And here's what it was. Sometimes when Ashley would discipline the boys, uh, when they were very young, she would say, hey, when your dad gets home from work, he's going to deal with this. There's, there's going to be a price to pay here. There's going to be discipline. And when he gets home, well, here's the problem. Sometimes they would get in trouble at 8.30 in the morning. And if I got home from work at 5.30, that's a long time for that anticipation of what's going to happen, I'm in trouble, to kind of build. And I guess that was part of the point. But the hard part for me was I wasn't there when they messed up. So it was hard for me to really be upset. In fact, the worst part of it was when I would pull up in the driveway and they were maybe six years old, there would be this sweet little face kind of looking through uh, the window with tears in his eyes, dreading the fact that I was home. And so after being away all day, missing my family and just wanting to be with them, I pull up and the boys are crying to see that I'm home. They don't want me to be home. In fact, they want to be anywhere that I am not. And so we, we quickly realized it was much better for the parent to discipline in the moment and deal with it instead of waiting all day for me to come home and be the bad guy. It felt terrible. It's good to discipline, but I wasn't there. I wasn't in the moment. It was really awkward. And, and when I look back on it now, I just can still see that little face just crying, dreading that I was there. Uh, but that story kind of paints a picture of many times what our faith with God, this journey with Jesus can feel like, right? When we feel like we've messed up, when we feel like we've sinned, we tend to draw away. And that's always been 
the case, right? When we look in Genesis in the garden, Adam and Eve mess up. Their first response is not, hey, let's take this to our heavenly father. No, they look, they try to fix it. They try to hide. They try to withdraw from his presence. And there's something in all of us that does that because what are we dreading? We're dreading the punishment. We're dreading what comes next. And so many times we're honest. When we fail, we actually pull away from Jesus instead of going to Jesus. And we're going to see and look at the story today of Simon Peter that picks up in the Gospel of John. And it's after Jesus has been arrested, crucified, uh, and died, and then resurrected. But just before Jesus is crucified, Simon Peter, his kind of his head guy, his, one of his main leaders of this, this ragtag group of disciples, actually denies even knowing Jesus. In fact, if you read the Gospel of Mark, which Mark would have been like a secretary to Simon Peter, he gives us this really clear firsthand account from Simon Peter himself that says Simon Peter even cursed and said, you know, I'd be damned if I am uh, that man. I am not him. So he, he curses himself in regards to this idea of being this follower of Jesus. And, and as you know, the story just before that, he talks a really big game. In fact, Jesus says, you're going to deny me. And Simon Peter looks around, surveys the room and says, no, like compared to all of these, everybody else here might fall. Everybody else here might deny knowing you. Everybody else here might run, but not me. I would, I would die for you. Simon Peter says, when I look at my love for you, Jesus, there is nothing that I would not do. I will not fail you. And Jesus says, yes, you will. In fact, you'll do it three times. You'll even hear a rooster crow. And it was very specific. And that's exactly what happened. Simon Peter finds himself kind of following at a distance. Jesus has been arrested. All of this is taking place. And Jesus finds him, or Simon Peter rather, finds himself near a charcoal fire. And that detail is going to matter in just a moment. And he's asked if he knows Jesus. He denies Jesus. He hears the rooster. Um, And then Jesus eventually uh, dies, is resurrected, and reveals himself to his followers. But they're still in a really disoriented state. And so let's pick up in John 21. So here's just kind of review. The disciples had gone with Jesus to Jerusalem before all of this, expecting for him to set up this really amazing kingdom. Okay. There's the triumphal entry where Jesus comes in on a donkey and people are saying, Hosanna. They're using these, these worship kind of slash military terms to say, this is our King. He's here to deliver us. Every Jew would know what that meant. It was this big moment. Simon Peter and the rest of the disciples are thinking, this is it. You know, this is what's going to happen. We're going to overthrow Rome. It's going to be great. But what happens is Jesus is actually arrested. The disciples think they're going to be arrested. Jesus uh, is killed on the cross. And then even once Jesus is resurrected, there's a lot of uncertainty in the air. They're not sure what's going to happen, right? They were career ministers. They believed they were going to be on earth working in this physical kingdom with Jesus. Now he dies, but then he's resurrected and they're totally confused. And so Simon Peter makes a decision that he's going to go back to fishing. Okay, now it's it's very possible that there was times where Simon Peter would still fish during this time of ministry to to support himself, to support his family. But in this moment, he has totally walked away from 
being a Christian minister in any sense that we could think of. Uh, think about this. His career in this movement, as far as he knew, was absolutely over. So his career is ruined. His self-understanding of who he is, he thought he was this amazing, devout follower of Christ, is absolutely destroyed. Uh, he's haunted by this. He's wounded. He is mortally wounded. He is spiritually wounded. He is emotionally broken. He is just hurt in every possible way. And he says, you know what? I feel like I can't do anything right. So I'm going to go back to the one thing that I do know how to do, and that's fish. And so here's what happens. So John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And that's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and they got in the boat, but they did not catch, but they caught nothing. Now the Sea of Galilee, this area would have been very familiar to Simon Peter and to James and John. This is a place they would fish all the time. And, 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 and Peter says, you know what? At least I can go and fish. I know how to do that. He's already feeling terrible. You know what happens? He doesn't catch anything. So at this moment, he thinks, I can't do anything right. He is broken. He is frustrated. And here's what happens. Just as day was breaking, so they fished all night. They're exhausted. Jesus stood at the shore, yet the disciples did not know who, that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Now that sounds kind, and Jesus is being kind, but it also feels like a dig because Jesus, number one, calls these grown men children, but then he also uses this response that in the original language is, so you haven't caught anything, right? So it's not like Jesus is going, hey, did you guys have a successful time? He's like, you didn't catch anything, did you? Which makes it feel a little bit worse. And they answered him, no, and he said to them, Cast the net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. And the story says that that's exactly what happens. They catch all these fish. Um, and then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's John, who is writing this, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard this, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. And just to be clear, he is not fishing naked. He took off his outer robe and that under kind of that undergarment robe they would tie around their waist between their legs and, and just kind of make shorts out of their outfit to fish. But he, he, he gets dressed, he jumps in the water, he runs, he's wanting to get to Jesus. And the other disciples came in the boat kind of behind him. They're dragging the fish, they're getting everything together. And then Jesus does something that Simon Peter probably wished he hadn't have done. Jesus has a fire going and it's a charcoal fire. And I want you to just imagine this. When you kind of cook with charcoal, if you've been around a charcoal grill, it has a very distinct smell. And Jesus starts this fire. Now, it's to cook breakfast. Use this fish. This is a nice thing. But Jesus is actually recreating the moment that Simon Peter was trying so hard to forget. He starts this fire, this charcoal fire. And Peter can all of a sudden begin to smell what he smelled that night. That he denied even knowing Jesus. And Jesus is going to recreate this moment. Simon Peter denied Jesus three times. And here, Jesus is going to ask Simon, do you love me three times? 
He's recreating this entire moment. In fact, we'll just see in just a moment, he uses a phrase that Simon Peter would have used when he said, I would never deny you. But verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now that phrase more than these kind of is this reference to Peter's prediction of loyalty in the upper room. You can read about it in Matthew 26, Mark 14, or Luke 22. So Jesus says, all right, now that the the smell is in the air, now that you can kind of close your eyes and be in that moment, do you really love me more than all these other people? Because you were so confident at at one time that you were so loyal and so dedicated and you would never fail me and you would even die for me. And we know that didn't really work out, right? We know that that didn't happen. And he asks him this question. He says, Simon, now that's tough too. Because Jesus had given Peter this, this nickname, Peter, which means uh, like little rock, but it's, it's this foundation, this rock kind of name. But now Jesus alludes back to his original name, which is Simon, which would have meant to hear or to heed. So Jesus is saying, well, why don't you just listen for a moment? I want to ask you a question. He said, do you love me more than these? Simon Peter said, you know that I love you, Lord. He said, feed my lambs. The verse goes on and a second time, Jesus says the same exact question. Do you love me? And Simon Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. The next time in verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Some scholars say at this point he's in tears. And he said to him a third time, do you love me? And Simon Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Now here is what's interesting about kind of this moment. Before all of this takes place, Simon Peter is this really confident guy that says, Jesus, I love you more than anyone else. And I will never fail you. I am so confident in my love for you. And that seems like such a, such a thing to, to, to just say, wow, that's, that's the example we want to follow, is this confident Simon Peter who knows exactly what to say. But Jesus is called the great physician. And Jesus here is, is like a surgeon. And what he does with these questions is he begins to cut away. And if you'll notice, when he's talking to Simon Peter, he doesn't even bring up the specific sins. If you had to say, what did Simon Peter do wrong? You might be able to say, well, he lied. He said, I will never do this. And he, and he did the opposite. He lied, but he was, he was a coward. And Jesus doesn't bring either one of those up. Like he sets the scene. He reminds Simon of the moment, Simon Peter. But here's what he does. He, he cuts He recreates, he gets to that moment, but then he also, like a surgeon, he doesn't just say, oh, there's the problem. He's going to get to the root of the problem. He's going to identify the the infection or the tumor like a surgeon. He's going to cut. A, A surgeon doesn't just cut and walk away. They continue to dig. And Jesus, through these questions, doesn't even mention those specific behaviors. He's trying to get to something. He's getting to Simon Peter's pride. He's getting to that moment in his life where Peter was so sure that he loved Jesus more than anybody else. And he's reminding him of that moment. He's showing Simon Peter lying. Yes, is a sin and and, and you were a coward. But but here is the real root. The real root was you were overconfident. You were so prideful. You believed that you could try hard enough and do good enough that you could make yourself be this ideal 
person, and now you feel grief. Scripture really describes two types of grief. There's in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, Godly repentance leads to freedom and no regrets, but ungodly sorrow leads to death. And really kind of the easy way to look at that is there's a type of sorrow that feels bad that you got caught, that feels bad that you messed up. That says, oh no, dad's coming home and I don't want to get in trouble. Oh no, when God sees this, I'm in trouble. Oh no, I failed Jesus and now he's there and he's prepared this fire and there's this sadness of, look what I've done. And here's what you're sad about. You're sad about the consequences for yourself. But there's another type of grief that doesn't look at yourself, but looks at your savior. And what Jesus does here is he doesn't focus on Simon Peter as much as he says, do you love me? He's getting Simon Peter to look at the crucified, resurrected Jesus and think about what's just taken place on the cross and and say, when you fail, when you mess up, don't run from me, run to me and think about the cross. Think about the love that, that, that it takes for me to be in that position. That I know exactly how broken and how messed up things are. And yet I gladly take that place for you. He's wanting Simon Peter to to get to this place that finds freedom in repentance. Because if Simon Peter sticks with, I'll just do better and I'll try harder. Then all Jesus would have had to say is, hey man, remember when you lied? Don't do that anymore. Try harder. And Simon Peter would say, you know what? I'll never do it again, Jesus. I'll never lie again. And what happens? He'll fail again and again. But every time he fails, he'll want to stay farther and farther away from Jesus. But Jesus does something incredible. He he identifies the sin. He cuts, but he gets to the root. He gets to the pride of sin. And he says, do you love me? Now, here's why I love this story. You've probably all heard of the different versions of love in the Greek. There's agape, which is this love that God has for us. It's this incredibly loyal, deliberate love. It's active. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't love someone for what they could get from them. It is the ideal, most dedicated form of love. Then there's kind of a a middle area where this love is described as deep friendship or the love you have for family or these are my people. And then there's a love that's like a romantic love, like when when someone first gets married and they're just so attracted and just intoxicated and they just they just want to be together all the time. And these three different types of love, the most common is, is the second, that kind of middle love, that love for family, that love for friends. And these words are very important here because if you were reading this story in the original language, the first time Jesus says, do you love me? He uses that agape love. He uses that, are you just so loyal, that non-self-seeking, that sacrificial love? Do you love me like that? And here's what Peter's answer is. Jesus, I love you. But when Peter responds, he uses that second kind of love. He says, "I, I love you like family. But I know that I'm not at that agape point. So Jesus asks again and uses agape again. And Simon Peter again says, I love you. It's not yet that agape love. It's, it's that kind of second tier love. But then the third time, Jesus uses the same term that Simon Peter is using. He says, do you love me with that 
family love, that familiar love. It's not agape, but it's, it's love. Do you love me there? And Simon Peter says, yes, you know that I do. And what does all that mean? I think what Jesus is showing Simon Peter at this moment is at one point, you believed you loved me with this agape love. You believed that you had this incredible love for me and that you would not fail me ever, but you did. And now I want you to see that your love for me is not at the same level as my love for you. Jesus isn't rubbing it in. He's saying my love for you is agape love and your love for me is not quite there. I'm not saying that you don't care, but it's not the same type of love that I have for you. And that might discourage you unless you begin to realize that at the moment that Simon Peter could admit, you know what? I'm not who I thought I was. I'm not loyal at all cost. I failed. And you know what, Jesus? I'm going to fail again. I know that I don't have that level of love for you right now. You know what Jesus does? He says, all right, follow me. Now that's someone I can work with. Someone who loves me but knows they're going to fail. Someone who loves me but understands that my love for you is always deeper and greater than your love for me will ever be. And that's Jesus saying, when you fail, don't run from me, run to me. Know that your, my love for you is not based on your performance and your religious effort and your try harder and your do better. My love for you is constant and it's loyal. It's not self-seeking. It's always there. And your love for me can grow. But understand that our relationship doesn't work because you're just so loyal and so perfect and so wonderful. Our relationship works, Jesus says, because I am constant, because I am perfect, because I am loyal, and you can always come to me. I hope that today, if you're dealing with this guilt, you're not like my kids, right? You're not looking out the window hoping that God's not going to show up and you're going to be in trouble. Pastor Anthony mentions a story that when he was in college, he was afraid that Jesus had come back, the rapture had taken place. So he just called home. His mom answered. He didn't even say anything. He heard her voice and knew that if his mom was still here, Jesus had not come back and he hangs up. He's terrified. Is that kind of the relationship that we have right now? When you're afraid, when you mess up, because you weren't religious enough or you weren't good enough that you're going to hide? Or are you going to realize that wherever your love is, Jesus' love is that much higher for you. You'll run toward him instead of from him. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for that agape love that you have for us. And that you meet us where we're at. And our relationship is not based on our ability to try harder and do better. It's based on the love that you have for us. The perfect life that you lived and died for us. And when we're willing to admit, Jesus, I'm not perfect. I'm broken. There's areas in my life that are a mess. You say, now I can use you. That's a heart that I can mold. That's a life that I can use. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you and thank you for joining us this week for Church Online.